When I started employer branding, it really felt like I was trying to force a topic and force an idea and force a strategy on people who absolutely did not want it. Oh, they had no interest in it whatsoever. Um, the, the quote that is attributed apparently wrongly to Gandhi is first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win, uh, apparently is not something he actually said, uh, but is the correct quote is from Nicholas Klein from a long, long time ago from 1918 saying first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, then they attack you and want to burn you. And then they build monuments to you, which I find fascinating. And I know, oh, Hey, a monument. That, I don't know. That's a lot of stone. Anyway, <laughs> it just felt like for the longest time I was fighting a losing battle. I was, I was, I was trying to walk uphill down a river. I mean, it was at the same time as there's so many headwinds. It was just so hard to move things forward. And it took, I don't even know when the moment was when I realized everybody I'm talking to wants it. Everybody, recruiters, business, candidates, the every part of the executives, leaders, everybody wants employer branding. The problem is they don't realize they want it because it's been poorly packaged and poorly sold for so long, right? There's a, there's a company who I love to make fun of. Uh, they are definitely don't have a a color-coded door as their logo, um, who spent, gosh, eight, seven, eight, nine years, 10 years, telling the world that if you invest in their platform for reviewing your jobs, that's an employer brand, that your score was your employer brand. And they made a great deal of money doing so, as much as it pained me to see. And they admitted much to me at one point, quietly uh, from the inside. And they're trying to change that and I don't really care about them at the moment, but I'm saying so many people tried to define employer brand to us so they could sell it to us. Like they tried to define it into a shape that was incredibly digestible. And when I say digestible, I mean you could very easily write a check to make it go away, which to be fair from a product standpoint is a winner of an idea. If it makes people write checks, yay, I've won. Um, but it didn't do us a lot of good. In fact, we're really un, you know, digging out from all the crap that has been sown about what employer brand is because it turns out everybody wants it. And that's what we're going to talk about today when we get back. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, welcome to the Talent Cast. We're doing uh, the audiobook 2.0. Talent chooses you 2.0. A- annotated, and you know the the sequel, the Electric Boogaloo, the I don't know whatever it is. It's it's this. It, we're doing it again, <laughs> and this time, um, it's the I'm reading it. I don't know. I, I got nothing. You know, I, you know, you know me. I make all this stuff up as we go along, and it's weird to read my own words to you. I, I it's it's very strange. Anyway. Before we get into it, I just want to remind everybody, the newsletter I run, we're we're about to hit, I think we actually just hit 1,800 subscribers. So not every employer brander in the known universe is there, but you know, we're making some headway on this thing. It may be the biggest employer brand newsletter. I don't know. It seems like it. I'm guessing. Feels like it. I haven't seen anybody kind of that's bigger than that. That's great. Bigger doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying. It's there to help you get smarter about employer brand. It's a little bit of thought. It's a lot of articles and why those articles may or may not be useful for you to know. And frankly, it's a digest of, hey, here's what you go. The thing I I think is unspoken about the newsletter is it forces me to read a lot of stuff and keep myself smart, which is kind of like 80% of why I do it. I'm archiving all the articles I'm publishing into one archive. So there's 
1,300 articles I've cited over the course of the newsletter, more than two years now, and they're all searchable. You want to go learn about activation? Go to the newsletter and you'll see all the articles that talk about activation. You want to learn about email newsletters or CRM? Type it in. It's searchable. That's what searchable means. Anyway, it's a feature. It's what I do as part of the newsletter. If you subscribe to the newsletter, you get the link. It gets updated every week. Go to employerbrand.news to subscribe or employerbrandheadlines.substack.com, I think is the direct link, but eh, go either way. Anyway, this entire season is sponsored by recruitmentmarketing.com, right? I've said this many times. There's old commercials in here, but you know it, but I'm going to say it again because they have kindly sponsor this entire thing and I thank them for it. They are the community for recruitment marketing professionals. So if you are doing recruitment marketing alongside employer brand, because they very often go hand in glove, go hang out in that community, go sign up. It's free. Anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, I think by the time I do this, so they're doing an ask me anything, a live ask me anything. So book club kind of thing. So if you join the community, I think it's April 11th. I'll be answering questions. You don't want me to read the book. I don't want to do a reading. That's what this whole podcast is for. You can get that on demand. I'm here to answer questions. Anyway, go sign up to recruitmentmarketing.com. Go find out when the Ask Me Anything is and away you go. Anyway, here we go. Let's talk about it. Here's the situation. It took me a long time to figure it out, but the truth is everybody wants what we have to sell, what we have to offer. The problem is they don't know it yet. Right. You, if you, if you have friends who are salespeople on LinkedIn, you always see that cartoon of somebody of, of a caveman trying to push a cart with square wheels. And there's a quote unquote sales caveman or cave salesman. I don't know, uh, with a round wheel and the people pushing the cart with the square wheels saying, not now we're busy pushing this cart. Ha ha ha. The salesperson has something that helps them and no one has the time to get that. And having spent just a little bit of time in sales, I know how incredibly cliche it is, how incredibly true that is and how incredibly sad that is all at once. It's an amazing little cartoon. It means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Employer brands really not that different. We are, we have a round wheel. We have better ways of doing things. The problem is recruitment marketing is so busy being recruiting circa 19 something, something uh, to kind of stick their head up and say, wait, there's got to be a better way. In fact, really good recruiters I've met, and there are many of them, as much as I kind of tease them occasionally, there are many incredibly smart and good and valuable recruiters. They kind of come to a lot of this stuff organically. I know a recruiter who's like, I'm going to post on social media to talk about stuff that I care about to kind of get an audience of people who kind of get it so that when I post a job, they're like, oh yeah, this recruiter is a cool person and I'm going to do it. And I'm like, he's like, oh yeah, James, you taught me some stuff. I said, no, 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 you're doing all this stuff that I would have taught you already. You came by it organically. Don't credit me for that. You figured it out. Good recruiters come to a lot of these ideas on their own if they think about it. But packaged under the umbrella of employer branding, for some reason, they start to kind of balk at it. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, here's why your company is begging for an employer brand strategy. Because in a world of staggering choice, and by the way, that choice isn't to your benefit, you've got to hire. There's a time not that long ago when people would apply pretty much blindly for a job. They'd see an opening for a nurse, an accountant, an entry-level salesperson, a clerk. It doesn't matter, right? Who they worked for wasn't as important as getting the job because to them, those jobs were interchangeable. And for those of you who need a primer on how insane that is, go back to the what is a job episode or chapter just uh, two or three weeks ago. Those days are gone. 
Those days are long, long, long gone. Right now, if you search for a project manager role, you can see results from every conceivable company. Everybody is hiring them. Google is hiring them. Facebook is hiring them. The Wisconsin Department of Transportation is hiring them. By the way, they're kind of my alma mater for a little bit, so I can make fun of them. I'm allowed. A startup is hiring them. An architectural firm is hiring them. An ad agency is hiring them. A hospital, a bank. You can get that job almost anywhere. And because of that, because so many more of those jobs are remote, there's even more opportunities for someone who does a job. People will move for the job. You can do it remotely. And a lot of people will, the, the number of jobs a single person might be applied, to, might be able to apply to properly is, well, the number's so big, we can effectively call it infinite. There's an infinite number of jobs. Now, in the micro, on the individual level, some days that doesn't feel that way. If you're searching for a job and it feels like, why is there no job that's exactly what we want? It's because you're incredibly specific and because you've all become incredibly specialized. That's magical stuff, but it doesn't serve you if you're in the middle of nowhere trying to find a very specific job and there's only two companies that hire that thing. That can be a problem. But anyway, we're talking the macro at the moment. So this is effectively an infinite number of jobs. And the job isn't local to a region or an industry. The job is just where the job lives, the company you'd be working for, right? That's, that's nah, okay, whatever. So with the amount of job choice a candidate can get as growing, and let's be fair, it is, it continues to grow, great migration, yay or nay, whatever, the candidate is looking for one thing. Because with all this choice, all they want is the information they need to make an informed choice. That's... That sounds simple. It sounds obvious. But then I look at your job postings and go, let me explain again. The candidate wants information they need to make an informed choice. Because I look at your job postings, I go, none of these words mean anything. And written in these orders mean actually less somehow. How'd you do that? That's amazing. Um, they want believable information. And the trick, of course, for us is that we know the answer because we're in the company. We know that when we say a certain thing, a certain phrase, it means a thing to us, but to a stranger out in the world, it means jack. It means nothing. Our job is to make the information we put out in the world credible so that they can make a choice. 20 years ago, it was easy for a company to hide who they were. If you wanted to know what it was like to be a product manager at a hospital, you had to find another project manager at that hospital and then take them to coffee and, and ask them because, you know, no LinkedIn. Um, I'm not sure how you'd find them, but there you go, which makes the job, makes that process even harder. The, the hospital, probably, almost all of them do, have a PR team or agency of, and, and a bunch of recruiters who are paid to say nice things about the hospital. Right? They're putting a lot of positive news out in the world. In some places, that might be called propaganda, and rightfully so. <laughs> the, the company, the hospital in this case, pounds out and spews propaganda like crazy. That's how they get you to think this is a great hospital on some level or another, and we can talk about that separately, I guess. Um, but they don't say much about the realities of the job until you actually set foot in. The recruiter will say all sorts of stuff. And frankly, a lot of, up until very, very recently, maybe even still for a long time, depending on how you see it, the act of interviewing is the act of the candidate kind of going, okay, you say this, this, this on your website. Glassdoor says this, this, this. What's it really like to work there? And maybe they say it in different terms, but that's what they're asking, right? 
and they don't believe anything until it's really there. I got a whole episode on how the only piece of information that's actually reliable in most job interview situations is the salary because it's a legal piece of on a legal document, your offer letter. Everything else is fuzzy. We offer lots of opportunity. Define it, prove it, show it. We offer lots of innovation. Define it, prove it, show it. No, you're not going to do that. Okay, you're just going to say innovation a bunch and hope I believe that. Well, congratulations. That's how most of us do our jobs, which isn't serving us. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. business at the time held all the information and there's no incentive for them to open up the open up the the doors and let you know what was really happening that would be potentially negative information if the culture at that hospital was toxic it didn't take much to throw an nda over people and non-compete agreement and everybody to make sure that those secrets stayed secret how do you think companies get away with this crap for so long? Sexually harassing their people, being racist, all the horrible things that some companies do. The reason they get away with it is because they can pay to make those problems go away. They don't have credibility. What they have is money. So they take the money and they convert it to credibility by paying the bad things to go away. Okay. Yeah. Is that cynical? Yeah. Is it true? Yeah. Moving on. It's that simple, right? You do that so that People could wander in and apply for jobs blissfully unaware of the toxic culture they were potentially joining. 20 years ago, executives and managers expected to get away with sexual harassment on a regular basis. They expected to get away with discrimination on a regular basis. That's why we had to make laws making it illegal here in the U.S. I don't know what the world is like others outside at the moment. Even when things got crazy, management can sweep things under the rug, payoffs, NDAs, legal threats, all sorts of stuff, fear of losing jobs. Even with the laws, people still do it. I still see on Reddit's anti-work examples of companies trying to get away with some insane bullshit because they think they can. Fixers fix things and you never know that you were attempting, applying to enter a company that was effectively a snake pit. It's gotten much harder to hide who you are. As great and cool as Uber seemed in early 2017, eventually, you know, the CEO, the founder, you know, gets recorded screaming at a driver. Um, someone may blog about rampant sexual harassment. Wah, wah. Um, stories seem to come out every week about the bro culture and trips to strip clubs and escort clubs. Um, you know, to steal a joke from, or a line anyway, from Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, you can't contain a company's culture. Eventually the culture finds a way of getting out, right? It finds a way of leaking out. People talk. And in this day of information, they talk a lot and they have a lot of channels to make it happen. Candidate, candidates 
want more than what the career site looked like? Information. No one cares. Again, I said this a lot. It's a joke. It's also true. For the longest time, the two most important websites in the world were Google and Amazon. The two ugliest websites on the internet were Google and Amazon. Nobody cared what they looked like. They had this amazing functionality. They couldn't get anywhere else that they loved and needed. They could care less about what the site looked like. It's changing. It's gotten slicker. Like, you know, when you make a lot of money, you get to hire designers to make it slicker. But at the time, it served a purpose. It created valuable information. And that's what people want. That's literally why they go on the internet to get valuable information and see cats. Anyway, um, they don't care what your career site looks like. They don't care whether you've got a smiling face of your CEO or a working picture of your CEO. Together, all that information may create and shape a perception, but generally they don't care what the site looks like. They care about what the information is and whether it's credible and whether they can validate it. The candidates who's considering applying at your company wants to know why they should work for you. Remember, they have functionally infinite choice. So you need to provide them with this thing called a reason. And that reason has to be real. It has to be valid. Just saying a reason is like me saying, I can dunk on LeBron when holding a donut. It's just as valid. Perhaps they find an opportunity to work within such a a toxic culture attractive. I mean, let's remember, for a long time, there were a lot of people really happy to work at Uber, probably because the company let them get away with all sorts of stuff. They had a four-point-plus rating on Glassdoor, the entirety of their toxic cultureness. Because the people who liked that particular bro culture worked there. And when they worked there, they got what they wanted. Why? Because they knew what they were getting into. God help the women and other people who weren't into that sort of thing, who didn't quite realize what they were jumping into. They hated it, validly so. But we think of Uber as this kind of train wreck of a company in that era. And that's not what its employees thought. And they're the ones who should know. In a lot of ways, the information that was coming out of that made the brand more attractive to those people. If not, it makes it less attractive. Ultimately, the information helps the candidate understand and decide rather than guess, right? That's really what most candidates do is they're guessing. Okay, I think that's okay. I think this company is going to be cool. My, my, no matter what the company is I worked for, my mom would ask me, what do you think it's going to be? You know, what's it like all there? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't started yet or what, you know, she's like, what's the job going to be like? I'm like, I don't know. I can only guess, right? Until I'm in it and really in it for a little bit. I don't know. And without this information, it's unclear as to what the candidate's applying for beyond a job. And the word A is really important because what they're looking for is the job. And what you seem to be offering is a job times a couple hundred, a couple thousand, however you are. That's not what people want. People don't want a shoe. They want the shoe that fits them, that fit the style that suits them, the function that suits their lifestyle. They want the shoe, not just a shoe. If I'm looking for shoes and you hand me a heel and it fits, but it's a high heel, it's not the shoe for me. Nothing wrong with that shoe. It's for somebody else. It's not for me. It's not the shoe I'm looking for. Information is the fuel for making decisions and the ability to make informed decisions. That's what drives A and B quality talent to apply. Lack of information doesn't either attract or dissuade C-level talent, so they apply at higher numbers because there's nothing slowing them down. Your, Your content says nothing, so they go, oh, sure, okay. 
I guess I could do that job because that job is not well described or defined or expect, you know, what the expectations are. So I guess I could do it. Remember, these are C quality talent. They don't know what they don't know. When the company doesn't feed talent's need for information, talent looks elsewhere. In cases where great talent isn't applying, the go-to is offer a deeper investment in ads and marketing. Make more haystacks, the managers say, right? If, the, if it's a needle in a haystack me metaphor, you're looking for more needles. What everybody does is make more haystacks, which is nuts. That's not how needles happen. Bees are effective means of driving prospects to learn about your company, but if what they learn turns them off, congratulations, you spent more money to annoy people and to turn people off. Why would you do that? Well, you probably don't know you're doing that, but a lot of you, that's exactly what's happening. If you're driving them to a weak answer to their question of why, they will not be any more likely to apply. In fact, I would say the more talented and more choices they have, the less likely they would be to apply. The less talented and fewer choices they have, you are one of the handful of choices, so they will pick you. That's how you attract mediocre talent. Ads are amplifiers, so be careful of what you're amplifying. When recruiting feeds the feels that talent pinch, they often look for better internal processing tools, the better ATS, more channels, simpler ways to disposition, faster means to screen and score candidates, make process the haystacks faster, the manager demands. Tools like these are great for optimization and speeding up a process, but don't actually do anything to engage better talent. They just make what sucks faster, right? An A or B player isn't excited because they can now get your crappy message faster and as fast as a text message, that doesn't serve anybody. But you're spending a lot of money to make sure they get that text message immediately. You just don't know what you're going to say that's worth a damn. They aren't going to apply simply because you made the application process faster. In fact, an easier application process tends to attract more C players. People just look for any kind of job. They love the fact that they can apply very quickly. It doesn't matter. It's just a job anyway, right? A job, not the job. When talent migrates away, everyone thinks the answer is money, but the answer is rarely money. And there's a, and when we get into that money question, it's a big question. It's the big kind of matzah in the soup. Assuming a C-grade talent is mostly interchangeable parts in a big corporate machine, they will command an average salary for average work. In fact, more interchangeable they are, the more you can push cost down because, you know, commoditized goods and services are effectively a race to the bottom. But if you're looking for a better grade of talent, and by the way, you say you are, so okay, let's do it, you might assume that the only answer is to raise compensation. Look, I get how you get to the answer, but that's not the answer. Yeah, people with skills and expertise should be expected, they expect to be compensated fairly for value they bring to the table, of course. But salary is only one means of compensation. If two people make 50,000 a year, but one works 60 to 80 hours a week doing it, and one worked 35 hours a week to do it, are they paid the same? If they make the same salary, but one is feeling personal passion to get that, that, that feeling of their passions being fed, or their personal mission aligns to yours, they feel like they're helping somebody to do something important, they're helping, you know, helping become famous in that space, building their credibility, building their status, or you give them flexibility, remote work options, remember this was written three years ago, and the salary you make may be the same, but the value the candidate derives is really very, in fact, you would call it radically different. The salary isn't the value, the salary is part of the value. 
Think about what the value is in what you offer. By the way, that word's important. It shows up dead smack in the middle of the term employee value proposition. That's how important it is. If you equate compensation with value, you're saying, I can only paint this house with this tiny paintbrush because that's how you paint a house with a paintbrush. And this is what I think a paintbrush is. It's tiny. You don't know rollers exist. You don't know sprayers exist. There are other ways to get the job done. You have to think beyond what is immediately in front of you. Think of value as all the different things you offer. Is it snacks? Okay. Is it beer pong? Oh God, really? Is it time spent? Is it commute? Is it flexibility? Is it an amount of vacation? Is it taking two weeks off every year? The entire company closes down. Is it that what the work you do matters? That changes the value equation. you got to embrace that. It's not about raising money. It's not about giving them more cash. It's about giving them more value. And this, by the way, is why it's important to understand who your targets are and who you're trying to talk to, because not everybody values everything the same way. Turns out data scientists and I almost said actual scientists, that's not fair, medical scientists, they value their jobs differently. They, one wants more impact, one wants more line of sight to the patient, one wants more flexibility, one wants more resources to have access to. I'm not going to say who's who because I don't always know that answer, but they're different audiences and therefore they have different senses of value. Successful companies give candidates two crucial things, enough information to make a decision and a reason why. Just going to read that one more time. Successful companies give candidates two super valuable, useful, and crucial things, enough information to make that decision and a reason why. While increasing the value helps attract more candidates, this isn't, again, it's not about increasing compensation. It's also not increasing benefits per se. Work that supports the employee's own reason why where they feel better aligned to the company because they have the same why. The feeling that comes with feeding your personal motivations, that is incredibly powerful stuff. That is why there are 100,000 teachers in this country, despite the fact that we pay them atrociously and treat them poorly. They're, the value is not in the cash, though they'd love more. Don't, don't get me wrong. They, they deserve it. The value to them is the work they do. It's the, it's, it's the reason why. The reason why supersedes the cash. Now we could adjust that, but that's neither here nor there. But that's how powerful personal motivations are. That's how powerful people's reason why is. It makes them and allows them to choose far, far, far lower paying jobs and feel satisfied doing it. If they feel they're doing something worth doing, they won't demand to be paid what Google or Facebook might be willing to pay them. Why? Because Google and Facebook are going to pay them to make ads. I'm not sure that there are a lot of people who feel personally fulfilled by getting me to click an ad. Maybe there are some, but certainly not as many as those companies have in, on the salaries right now. They, those people are going to take a salary far closer to the median because they're getting a bonus of professional and personal satisfaction. They'll take the pay cut because the work matters. And as soon as we see from those, from the employee perspective, that salary and compensation are just part of the picture when weighing an offer, you get to think about what you offer. So this leads us to a really unpleasant truth. It's a good thing that candidates care about more than money 
because to be fair, you're not going to win that game. If it's a game of money, it's a game you lose. Because unless you're Google or Facebook or one of the handful of companies that seem to be able to print money all day long, you got no chance of winning that game. You can't spend your way out of the problem to hire that great talent. You cannot spend your way out of this. From the employer side, here's why employer brand is so useful. This is why the company wants employer brand. Because companies who value a higher grade of talent but don't or can't spend more money begging them to apply and don't have the money to pay a premium for their skills, who still need that talent to grow, they can win if they communicate the why and their value to candidates. If you can talk about how joining this company makes this person grow, especially if that person cares about growing, and by the way, not everybody does, but if they care about growing and you offer what that growth, those people are more likely to take a pay cut or to you know let it go of a premium when they jump jobs to pay for a company that gives them more of the thing they want. This is good because it means every company has a chance to win. It's not a rigged game. My, one of my favorite books of all time is Moneyball, not because I care about baseball even a lick. I do not. And everybody kind of makes fun of me. I'm like, oh, Moneyball, it's, it's all about magic numbers. I'm like, no, 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 no. Moneyball is the, one of the most important books in employer branding because it's a book about a simple idea. How do you win a rigged game? In the game, in the book, in baseball, some companies spend three and four times as much money. Sorry, I'm sorry. Some baseball clubs spend three or four times more money than some baseball clubs, and it's considered fair competition. But how can you co compete when a batter, a pitcher, a fielder, what have you, can make more money at other clubs? How does a club that has the second lowest salary in the entire sport continue to win? How do they win a rigged game? Employer branding is the same. If you're not in a business that prints money, if you're not in a business where you can spend cash without any kind of worry, and by the way, there are only a handful of those, and even those companies worry about money because that's effectively the definition of being a company, you can still win the rigged game. You can still be a small or a startup or a local or a whatever company and still win the talent war. Not because it's a random choice. It's not. But companies, big or small, new or old, startup, old school, whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter size. doesn't matter location. If you tell a more compelling story around the why people should work for you and it connects to what that talent cares about, that talent will want to work for you and you have a chance to hire them. That's the only reason companies care about employer branding. And it's why the company is begging for employer branding, even though they don't know it. If you say, hey, I have a way to spend a little bit of money to not lower the salaries of people who work for you, because that's a jerk move. Don't be that person. But if you say, right now, if you talk to your recruiters, the people who get through an interview process who don't accept an offer, where do they go? They go to places that pay a lot of money. And by the way, pretty common, albeit not universal, response. If that's your company, you're saying you're losing all this talent to companies who can pay more. You tell the company, here's the data. We're losing candidates to people who pay more. The problem is we didn't give them a reason beyond money. And those reasons are real. Here is our company. Here's what we offer. Here's where we're better. Here's how we beat those companies. We just need to tell this story. 
and tell it in a way that's credible and believable, which means you've got to backfill it with all sorts of proof. I mean, like a lot of proof. And when you put that out in the world to the candidates who care about that, you will be able to hire higher grade talent because they, they value the things that you offer. Those things that you offer have more value to them. Put thusly, there isn't a leader or a C-suiter in the world who goes, that's a bad idea, let's not do that. Your company is begging for employer branding. You just have to position it better. That's all I had this week. Thanks so much for recruitmentmarketing.com for sponsoring the entire season. As always, come find me on the internet. I live there, right? <laughs> Sign up for my newsletter, employerbrand.news, or just, you know, ping me on LinkedIn. Let's chat. Let's hang out, what have you. Um, happy to talk more about this stuff. Otherwise, sign up for recruitmentmarketing.com's community. I'm going to do an Ask Me Anything. You can bug me there. We'll have a great time. All right. I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.